You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Fire. Hello my radio friends. Welcome to the program today. The 2019-2020 summer in Australia has been tremendously difficult for many people. Drought, searing temperatures, strong winds and bushfires have been responsible for much damage, heartache, loss of homes and other property, loss of animals, disruption to summer holidays, loss of income, of valuables and a host of other problems. In my lifetime, I've been aware of major fires in Australia, but it seems that the 2019-2020 summer, the fires have been particularly intense and much more widespread than ever before. Some people have blamed the Prime Minister for all the problems, but I don't see how Australia's Prime Minister can be personally responsible for drought and fires. Many people blame global warming for what has happened. Others say it is because we're nearing the end of the world, referring to Daniel 12.1 where the prophet, in writing about the end of the world, said, At that time Michael the great prince who protects your people shall arise. There will be a time of trouble such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. And then others have another explanation that says Satan is able to influence the weather and he's the cause of the world's climate and weather problems. Whatever the cause, it has not been a happy time for our nation. In one way or another, everyone is affected. Fire is mentioned in the Bible in quite a few places, but I want to share with you today about something that has many people confused. And this revolves around the issue of hell. A fairly popular teaching in many Christian churches is that the point at the point of death, the spirit, sometimes referred to as the soul, departs from the body and goes elsewhere. The promoters of this doctrine, or should I say theory, assume that at the point of death God has already pronounced judgment on them so that the good people, sometimes referred as the righteous, go to heaven and the bad people, sometimes referred as the wicked, go to hell. This, according to the proponents of this theory, happens immediately. There is no time of waiting. Boom! It supposedly happens straight away. Personally, according to my understanding of Scripture, there are several issues where I believe that the proponents of the theory I've just described are quite wrong. I've dealt with these issues in some previous programs. The issues are A. At death, the spirit or soul separates from the body and goes elsewhere. B that hell is a place of eternal torture. And C, promoted in some religious circles, the wicked will be given 
a second chance. Regarding second chance, the Roman Catholics have invented a doctrine known as purgatory, which could be understood as a time of purging of certain sins and sinful traits of character. Depending on the severity of those sins, there will be a greater or lesser time that any particular individual is to be required to spend in purgatory being purged. Of course, the sentence supposedly can be shortened if relatives of the deceased individual pay large sums of money to the church, or if they arrange certain masses to be conducted for their relative in purgatory. Devout Catholics have contributed large amounts of money to the church because of the purgatory doctrine. With regard to the other second chance proponents, they claim that God is loving and doesn't want to harm anyone, so the unrighteous will be given an opportunity to live their lives over again so that they can do better the second time round. But you know, there is a huge flaw in these two doctrines. These doctrines totally cancel out the sacrifice Jesus made to save sinners. In fact, what Jesus did for the salvation of sinners has no point whatsoever if, firstly, you can work your way to salvation through the purgatorial system, or secondly, living life again in a second chance to improve. Martin Luther was one who declared that salvation is by grace. That's God's grace alone. Salvation is not, never was, and never will be because of one's own personal efforts or works to get it. Over and over and over again, the Bible explains that we are not saved because of works. Our works, that is. We are saved because of God's grace, through his acceptance of those who are willing to accept the merits of Jesus. Now, back to the fire. If you were to look up the word fire in a Bible concordance and write all the text down, then read each one, you might well become a bit confused. From some of those texts, without reading the context, you might possibly come to the conclusion that hell is some mystical place where the wicked go at death to be slowly and painfully tortured forever and ever. That would mean for some the price to pay for their evil ways would be torture for thousands, no, millions, no, not even that, billions of years for only 70 or so years of selfishness. Would that be a fair punishment? I don't think so. In my opinion, since God who gave people free choice to obey him or not, if he has set up such a vindictive system of punishment for anyone who exercised their right to choose to dishonour him, that punishment is too terrible for words. 
If that what if that is what God is like, I and many others would not be interested in being Christians. My God is a God of mercy and justice. The punishment in hell for billions of years for a short lifetime of selfish living is not justice. It is cruelty to the highest degree. Now you'd probably know that Stalin and Hitler were responsible for the deaths of at least 100 million people. So-called enemies of the state were murdered or tortured and some of those victims died horrible deaths. But Stalin and Hitler would be just mere pussycats in comparison if God causes eternal torture and pain for billions of years. The question then is, is hell a place of eternal torture with fire? Well, let's see what the Bible has to say. Best of all, let's see what Jesus had to say. Mark chapter 9 is a good place to start in verses 43 to 48. And I'm reading from the King James Version of the Bible. Jesus said, If your hand offends you, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go to hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot offends you, cut it off. It is better for you to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dies not, and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye offends you, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire, where their worm dies not, and the fire is not quenched. Now Jesus was talking about reward and punishment and saying that sometimes we need to take drastic action to prevent ourselves from doing evil that would otherwise keep us out of God's kingdom. The alternative was to be cast into hell, described as a place where the fire is not or cannot be quenched and where the worm, more strictly their worms, do not die. Now, did Jesus mean that the fire does not die out, or did he mean that the fire cannot be put out? And what's all that business about worms? Well, let's deal with the worms first. What sort of worms are they? Well, they're probably maggots. If you've ever seen a dead animal, what happens to it when it dies? Firstly, it begins to putrefy, and as it does, it swells up and it stinks. That attracts blowflies, and they lay their eggs on the carcass, and then the maggots hatch out and start to eat the rotting flesh. 
Can that animal do anything to prevent the maggots eating it? No, the animal is dead. The maggots cannot continue their job. I'm sorry, the maggots continue their job until there is no flesh left, when they pupate and turn into blowflies. The worms do not die expression essentially means that they do their job until it's done. But what about the fire? The expression is used three times by Jesus, and he said, the fire that never shall be quenched. Quenched means put out with water, such as in quenching thirst or quenching fire. It does not mean it won't stop. Jesus referred to two examples of where God punished the wicked previously because of their wickedness. What he said is found in Luke seventeen twenty six to 30 plus verse 33. His words were, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day Noah entered into the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even this shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now I'm going to go on with this straight after the break. How long has it been since you talked with the Lord and told him your hearts hid in secrets? How long since you prayed? How long since you stayed on your knees till the light shone through? How long has it been since your mind felt at ease? How long since your heart knew no burden? Can you call him your friend? How long has it been since you knew that he cared for you? Since you knelt by your bed and prayed to the Lord up in heaven, how long since you knew that He'd answer you and would keep you? Has it been 
Since you woke with the dawn and fell, this day is worth living. Can you call him your friend? How long has it been since you knew that he cared for you? I just finished reading the section from Luke chapter 17 before the break where Jesus spoke about the days of Noah and the days of Lot where people were destroyed. And he used those two examples of the destruction of the wicked in the time of the flood and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah as an example of what will happen when he comes again to collect those who are obedient and faithful to him. But what I want to focus on here is what happened to the wicked people in the time of the flood and in the time of the Sodom and Gomorrah. They were destroyed. Now what does that term, destroyed, mean? Well, it means they died and then they ceased to exist. Now, I want to tell you, listeners, that I've investigated the wording on verse 29 from 36 different translations of the Bible, and all of them are in agreement that what happened to the wicked people was that they were destroyed, they were burned to a crisp, and they ceased to exist. The popularly taught doctrine of an ever-burning hell is completely at odds with what happened to the wicked mentioned previously. It should be explained here why God destroyed the wicked in those former days. In the book of Jude, the second last book of the Bible, verse 7, is an explanation of their wickedness. It says, In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. They were destroyed by that eternal fire. Question. Is the fire that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah still burning? Well, no. It's gone out because it did its job. I've met and spoken with an archaeologist who's been to the site of the ruins of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the fire has definitely ceased. But the effects, the result of the fire, remain 3,000 years afterwards. So why does the Bible describe that fire as eternal fire? The answer is because it was complete. It burned what was there to burn, then it stopped. Who stopped it? No one. Because it was, as Jesus described in Mark chapter 9, unquenchable. Now, I want to share a very important passage of Scripture with you. It's from Second Peter 2 verse 6. 
I'll say that again for you to make a note. Second Peter 2 verse 6. The Apostle Peter wrote, He, that's God, condemned the city of, cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Then, in Second Peter 3 verse 10, the Apostle Peter adds, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And then Peter gives a warning in verses 11 through to 13. He says, since everything will be destroyed this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Do we read from the writings of the Apostle Peter and the, the Apostle Jude anything about punishment of the wicked via fire, not bad enough to destroy, but just bad enough to cause eternal tor torment? Do we read that the wicked will be kept alive for billions of years, suffering pain, imprisoned in a place where they want to die but can't? No, not at all, because it's not there. The fire that destroys the wicked along with Satan and his angels and agencies is described in Revelation chapter 20 verse 15 as a lake of fire. If even the elements melt in the heat, how could a person survive? But verse 10 of Revelation poses a problem, where it says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of brimstone and burning sulphur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night for ever and ever. On one hand, the Bible describes that the fire from God burns everything in it to total annihilation. Yet in the verse I just read to you, it says that the evil beings will be tormented forever and ever. Does the Bible contradict itself? Or have we misunderstood something? The issue is in the translation of the Greek word aeonios which can mean different things according to the context. In some cases, like referring to God, it means perpetually, without end. In other cases, the word means as long as it lasts. The eternal fire that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah lasted until there was nothing left to burn. Then the fire went out. So it will be with the lake of fire that destroys the devil, his agencies, and the wicked. 
they will suffer eternal death, meaning they will be destroyed and will burn while there is something to burn. It will be humanly impossible for anyone to put that fire out. Hell, referred to by Jesus, is this lake of fire that consumes and cleanses the face of the earth. The fires that have swept across many areas recently in Australia, in comparison to the fire of sulphur and brimstone at the end of this earth's history, are minuscule. Now, in view of the large-scale evacuations of some of the Victorian and New South Wales holiday towns because of the possible risk of fire and the dangers of being in these areas, one would be rather foolish to ignore the warnings of the authorities. But on a much larger scale, it is also foolish to ignore the warnings given through the prophets and the apostles in the Bible. Without question, those prophets and apostles writing about the calamities coming upon the world, lay out two and only two scenarios. The first is that by accepting the sacrifice of Jesus, followed by living a life in accordance with the will of God, you can be saved. The other is that if we choose to ignore God, and live a life of selfishness and sin, we will be finally and ultimately destroyed. That will be it. There is no second chance. There is no purgatory. There is no ever-burning hell. There is no torment for billions of years. Complete and utter destruction awaits those who compromise the unrighteous group. So what sort of decision will you make? Well, you can choose to live forever, or you can choose to be completely destroyed. You must make your decision, and I hope that you make the right one.